Thank you for listening to our podcast. Church at the Well is a community practicing the way of Jesus and thirsting for the life he gives. Hello, happy fourth Sunday of Advent. Um, this has been a season of waiting, as, as Jordan said, right? Waiting for, uh, well, remembering the long waiting of the Hebrew people for a Messiah. Um, but also, we're stepping into their waiting as our own waiting, right? Because we're also waiting for Messiah. We're waiting, I think, in two ways. We're waiting for his return one day when all of creation will be redeemed, all sickness will be healed, right? All injustice will be vindicated. I'm looking forward to that day. I hope you'll join me in that. Um, but I think that we're also all in our, in our own way, individually waiting, right, for God's grace and presence to break into our messy lives, right, to break into our families, to break into our failures, and, and to shed light and to be light for our path because we need it. We need him. So what I want us to focus on today is how God comes. The title of my sermon this morning is What the Christmas Story Can Teach Us uh, About How God Comes. Because if we're waiting, we probably want to think a little bit about, well, what we're looking for, right? How are we going to recognize God when he comes? How will we know it's him? Um, so we're going to look at three specific ways that God comes to us in the Christmas story and in life. And the first way is this. God comes to us in obscurity. Here's a definition of obscurity. The state of being unknown, inconspicuous, unimportant. That's how God comes. I'm going to invite Catherine up, who's going to read from the scripture for us. Um, look for obscurity. Look for this theme in the scripture. Matthew 1, 18-21. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother was Mary, or Mary was pledged to be married, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had it in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Thanks, Catherine. So the story of Christmas is that God becomes human, right? He, he, he becomes human. We call this the incarnation. And it's through his becoming human, through the incarnation, that he reconciles people to himself. So you and I have the hope of being made right with God because of this, the incarnation. And, and isn't it fascinating when you think about the incarnation, how he chose to be incarnated, right? He didn't choose to be incarnated as a powerful emperor, a, a heroic warrior, a, an influential scholar, perhaps, or a, a ruling high priest in a religious hierarchy. No, God chose to be incarnated, to become human, as an infant, born into a family of very ordinary people, humble people, people who worked with their hands. These are working class. This is Joseph, a carpenter, and Mary, a young teenager betrothed to Joseph. Now, as if that wasn't enough obscurity for God, 
What do you think happened when Mary became pregnant out of wedlock by the Holy Spirit? Was there a party to celebrate the miracle? Lots of fanfare and attention? Well, no, it was actually just the opposite, right? Things get complicated. Imagine how that might have actually played out in some of Mary's relationships. Thankfully, an angel shows up to Joseph in a dream explaining the situation, right? So Joseph stays with Mary to remain betrothed. But we can't assume an angel showed up to every one of Mary's friends and family members, can we? So, so Mary, actually, shortly after she becomes pregnant, leaves town. And she goes up and spends several months with her cousin Elizabeth, who's also uh, sort of miraculously expecting. And so they, they, they get each other's stories, right? There must have been a lot of re- relief. But essentially, Mary's, in, in, maybe we could think of it as her going into a kind of hiding. Uh, things were very obscure. When Mary's time came to give birth, things got even more obscure. Mary and Joseph, what do they have to do? They have to travel. They travel to Bethlehem to be counted in the Roman census. And there in Bethlehem, there's no vacancy. There's no place for them to stay. And so Mary gives birth to Jesus, the Son of God, where? In an animal shelter, right? Some kind of stable or a cave. Guess who was the first uh, welcoming committee? (laughs) Probably something like that, right? Some cows or goats or sheep or donkeys. Imagine it. There's an inbreaking of the kingdom of heaven. God has entered his own creation as a human being. History will never be the same. And who is there to welcome him but perhaps some sheep and goats and cows? Could Jesus have been born into more obscurity than that? You know, obscurity isn't generally where we look for God, right? But I think the Christmas story tells us that that's how God comes. Maybe that's where we should look for God. Let me ask you a question. How, how has God showed up in your life quietly, without fanfare, without a miracle? Or maybe with a miracle that is so personal, so custom, nobody else would, would get it. Nobody else would get it. Just for you. Like, for, in a way, for Mary, not, not many people got it, at least at first, right? You know, I think of the prophet Elijah. So God makes an appointment uh, to meet with the prophet Elijah. And how does God show up in this meeting? Scripture says that there's a powerful wind, so powerful that it shattered rocks. But the scripture also says the Lord was not in the wind. There's an earthquake. The Lord was not in the earthquake. There was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And then there was a still, small voice. A tiny whisper, so quiet, it almost couldn't be heard at all. And the scripture says, the Lord was in the still, small voice. He was in the whisper. This is where God was. He was in the whisper. And that's how God comes at Christmas. That's how God comes at Christmas. In a whisper, right? A baby born among some animals to an ordinary mother and father. Well, the second way that uh, the Christmas story shows us how God comes is this. God comes to us, not just in obscurity, but in locality. So there's a, a definition here of locality. It's the fact or condition of having a particular location in space and time. So I'm going to invite Catherine up again. Um, and, and she's going to read for us the birth narrative from Luke. 
And here's what I want to invite you to do as she's reading, as we're reading along on the screen or in your Bible. Look for place names. Look for the geography of the Christmas story. Pay attention to those. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken, taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph went up from the town of Galilee, um, from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no room available for them. Did you notice any place names there? Uh, the, the first, let's, let's take the bird's eye view here. What's the biggest place name that is mentioned? The Roman Empire. We have a map here of the Roman Empire, right? By the way, I just want to say that, like, geography is important. Not just, you know, for nerds or whatever. It's important <laughs> because God made the world. And God so loves the world, right? And this is the world that he made, right? And so um, we have the Roman Empire. Uh, it, it's the, the empire that sort of circumscribes the Mediterranean Sea. We see Judea over here, Jerusalem, Bethlehem. So that's where ancient Israel was. That's the first geographical reference we have in this passage. And then we're told uh, that Mary and Joseph live in a town called Nazareth in a region in northern Israel called Galilee. So I have another map here that sort of shows ancient Israel, and it, and it spotlights Nazareth there in the north. And you can kind of see, uh, I think it says Galilee up there, and then Judea down here. So that gives you a sense of the geography, right? So, so Mary is in Nazareth, and Joseph are in Nazareth. By the way, the population of Nazareth when Jesus was born, uh, 400 people, scholars estimate. So a pretty small town, pretty small town. Um, but of course we know that's not where Jesus was actually born. That's just where the beginning, the story begins. So he's born in Bethlehem down in Judea. And so that would have been a 70-mile trip as the crow flies, but probably about 90 miles if he are actually traveling the roads, right? So Bethlehem is down here in Judea. Uh, you'll see just above it in, in smaller lettering is where Jerusalem is. It's, it's just about six miles from Jerusalem. Bethlehem uh, means house of bread. That's the, that's the meaning of the name uh, Bethlehem. And, and Bethlehem is where King David was born. And jo Joseph is a descendant of King David. That's why they're going to Bethlehem, because they have to go to their ancestral town to be counted in the Roman census. Now, now guess how many people lived in Bethlehem when Jesus was born? Let me give you a hint. Smaller than Nazareth. Uh, estimated to be about 100 people. That is tiny. Uh, it's tiny, tiny town. But it was on people's radar at least a little bit because in ancient uh, uh, Israel, the prophet Micah, 700 years prior to this story, uh, writes this um, prophecy. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And so Bethlehem was actually on people's radar, at least to some extent. So God's plan to reconcile the world to himself hinges on the incarnation 
that God himself being born as a human, and where was he born? Not in Rome, not in Jerusalem, not in L.A., in Bethlehem. In Bethlehem, right? The point I'm making here is that Jesus was born in a particular place, and he lived his life in particular places, which means this about God. When he shows up in our lives, he shows up in particular places, the places where we live and work and play and sleep. He's not relegated to this space on a Sunday morning or any church gathering or place. He's not relegated to holy days or to the holy land. I grew up going to church. I grew up going to a, a beautiful Catholic church. But one of the places where I first sensed God's presence, and by the way, I will say I think that I sensed his presence from time to time. Um, growing up in, 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 the, in the church that I grew up in. But I will say one of the most early, sort of more powerful um, experiences of, of, of sensing a, sort of a personal like sense that God was with me was actually when I was hanging wise, li- uh, clothes on the clothesline in the backyard one day. Right, That's where like God chose to meet me was the clothesline. Um, that's a story for another day. But I want to share a story with you about a friend named Anya Silver. Anya Silver um, was a poet from Georgia. I'm a poet, so we had something in common. I actually met Anya when she came to Burlington to read at the Burlington Book Festival. I was at a reading, and I just loved it. And uh, I went up to meet her afterwards, but I ended up in the wrong place, and I never met her, and I was so disappointed. So I wrote her a letter, and we actually corresponded for several years until, um, unfortunately, her untimely death um, in 2018. Anya was a woman of truly vibrant faith. Her poems, really, they read like the Psalms. She's not somebody who's afraid to question God. Her poems, sometimes they rail at God, but they always come back to God in the spirit of the Psalms. So when Anya was pregnant at the age of 35 with her only child, her first and only child, she was diagnosed with an aggressive form of breast cancer. Um, she shared with us at the poetry reading about how when she was diagnosed, she would go to church, but she couldn't hold it together in church. And she would find herself running out from the pews and, 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 and taking refuge in the bathroom and, and, and weeping on the floor in the bathroom. But she also said that that is where God met her, that there was a, a sense of his presence, that there was a sweetness uh, that she would come to through her tears in the bathroom, not in the sanctuary of the church building, but in the bathroom. And that happened over and over again for her. The bathroom at the church became her sanctuary. Has God ever met you in an unexpected place? Uh, maybe a parking garage, I don't know, a bus, uh, waiting online at the dining hall, cleaning out a closet, crossing the street? In a, in a waiting room somewhere? What if these are actually the places where God wants to show up? What What if he's already there in those places waiting for us? Let me ask you a question. Is there a place in your life that you find it hard to be in? A place you have to be in, but you find it hard to be in. Maybe it's somewhat painful to be in, or, or maybe it's just it feels empty, it feels lifeless, it feels draining. Take a moment just to think about whether there's a place like that in your life. Maybe it's your neighborhood. I don't know if any of you like live in a place where you really don't want to live. That I've been there. 
Uh, every time you go for a walk, this just doesn't feel good to be there. Or, or maybe it's a, your dorm room. You're not at peace when you go back to your dorm room or a classroom, an office, a particular uh, waiting room, a friend's apartment or house. Is there a place like that for you that where you have a deep ambivalence about that place? I wonder if you would do a thought experiment with me. If you're comfortable, I want to invite you to, to close your eyes um, and to take a deep breath because we're just going to shift to kind of a, a prayerful moment here. And I want to invite you to picture that place, a place you feel some deep ambivalence about where it's hard to be. How do I want to invite you to imagine Jesus quietly in that place? Maybe he's entering into it. Maybe he's just there. Where is he in that place? Is he opening the door? Is he standing? Is he sitting? Is there something he's touching or standing near? How does he move in that place? Let me ask you, how does his presence change that place? Just in your imagination. How does his presence change that place? What is his presence there in that place saying to you about that place? Let's just sit with that for a moment. What is his presence there saying to you about that place? might be something you want to revisit, just sort of like dabbling in, in, in this sort of moment of letting God into our lives, perhaps in a new way for you. Um, but I want to just say that even though that I call that a thought experiment, and you are using your imagination, which God does give us our imaginations to use in holy and good ways. Um, in a sense, if you were picturing Jesus in a place, you weren't just picturing him there. You, he was there, right? Because he is there. He's everywhere. When we read the Christmas story, we see that God shows up in geography. He doesn't hover above the places of our lives ethereally. He enters into them, right? Through the door. Right? He enters into them. And that's where he comes to us. Right? Where we are. Well, the third way that God comes to us uh, that we see in the Christmas story is that God comes to us in vulnerability. It's pretty hard to miss in a Christmas story. God comes to us in vulnerability. So what does that really mean? What is vulnerability? Let's uh, define it here. Well, the word vulnerable, by the way, comes from the Latin word for to wound, or wound, right? So it literally means woundable. It, it, it means capable of being wounded, physically or emotionally. It means being assailable, being open to attack. And I think the most obvious aspect, right, of God coming to us in vulnerability is the fact that he comes clothed in flesh and blood as the ultimate vulnerable human, right, an infant. 
Um, I have a, a, a piece of art that I want to share with you here. This is the original down here, if you want to come and look at it afterwards. This is a, an etching that was made by a friend of mine uh, in high school. When I was 16, I came into a um, personal relationship with God. And, and this was uh, my, my friend and his brother, um, Ben and Josh Stamper, um, really led me to the Lord. And uh, they're both artists, um, one a musician and one a visual artist and filmmaker. And, and, and this is Ben's um, etching that uh, he gave to me that first Christmas when I was 16, that first Christmas when God was real to me in a new way. Now, this is just an image of, a, of an infant, right? Uh, it's just an image of an infant. There's nothing religious looking about this picture. There's nothing Christmassy about it. But if you can read the title of it, it says everything. Emmanuel. I imagine that God being God, right, he could have caused Messiah to just appear as a fully formed adult. You know, why bother being born? That takes a long time. A lot of pain, a lot of messy. You're like, why bother? But that wouldn't truly be incarnational, would it? Because you see, to be human is to be born as a 7 or 8 or 9 or 10 or 11 ounce hungry, shivering baby that can't do a single thing for himself or herself, Right? And to be human is to enter into this world into the care of other human beings. Our parents who feed us and change us and hold us and love us, even if they don't know what they're doing, and even if their love for us is imperfect, and in some cases, perhaps many, very, very imperfect. So Jesus comes to us as a vulnerable infant, fully incarnational, right? Not a fully formed adult. But Jesus' vulnerability, right, goes beyond being just a baby. It, it ha he happens to be born in a very precarious moment and place in history, a dangerous moment and place in history. He's born as an infant, uh, sorry, a, a Hebrew infant, a Hebrew infant in the Roman Empire, right? So he's born into the centuries-long power struggle uh, of empire, right, of this um, inequity, this... Um, Occupation, and we see the bitterness of Roman occupation in uh, the the lives of Mary and Joseph right here in the Christmas story, right? Because they're taking this trip to Bethlehem, not because they want to take this trip to Bethlehem. Right? They don't have a choice in the matter. Right? They are under Rome, and Rome says you have to go back to your uh, ancestral town so that we can take you know we can register you. No parent takes a trip when their child is about to be born. That only happens if they're forced to do it, right? So Mary and Joseph are powerless in this situation, and Jesus is born into their powerlessness. Now, as if all of this vulnerability wasn't enough, Jesus also happens to be born under the rule of a dangerously jealous and unhinged king, right, named Herod, Herod the Great. When Herod hears about Jesus' birth from the Magi, and Adam talked about this a bit last week, Herod was so jealous that he tried to kill Jesus by ordering the slaughter of all the boys in Bethlehem and the surrounding area under the age of two. I mean, what a dark day that would have been. This is referred to, by the way, in church history as the slaughter or the massacre of the innocents. You see, Jesus had a price on his head as a baby. But thankfully, I'll invite Catherine up to read our last passage. Thankfully, an angel shows up and warns Joseph to flee. So let's read that story. 
An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you. For Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years and under, in accordance with the time that he had learned from the Magi. Thanks. So, Jesus spent his early childhood as a refugee in Egypt. Foreign language, foreign culture, foreign food, no family. Who knows if they had work? And this, of course, was prophesied in the Old Testament where Hosea says, out of Egypt I called my son. So I have a, a, a piece of art, one last piece of art that I want to share with you this morning by an artist named Kelly Lattimore, and it's called The Holy Family. This is a modern icon, as you can see, and it conflates Jesus' story with the modern flight of refugees, and I just want us to take a moment to look at it. How would you describe the expression on Mary and Joseph's faces? And ask that as a real question. Is there anyone who would, a word comes to mind, if, if you just want to raise your hand and, and, and say how, how, you, how you interpret their expressions, that would be welcome. Uncertain. Uncertain. Yeah? Worried. Worried? Yeah. Worried, yeah. I'm going to add alert. They look very alert to me. Watching out for danger. Maybe a little sad. Any others? Resolute. Resolute. Mm. Yeah, in the back. Fearful. So for me, this painting really captures the vulnerability of God that we see in the Christmas story. Oh, I'm just going to shout out also to um, say that I've been listening to this song by Nice Mitchell called The Song of the Magi, if anyone knows that song, but she uh, conflates the Christmas story with life in Bethlehem today. And, and I think that although that's very much a commentary on what life in Bethlehem, which is in Palestine today, uh, might be like, um, it's also a story, a, a picture of the vulnerability, the real vulnerability into which Jesus was born, which we don't always see in the Christmas story when we read it um, through the lens of our, our eyes. So let's tie things together here. We've said that God shows up in obscurity, in locality, and in vulnerability. And I want to say, if I was to take all of those three points and sort of boil them down to one sentence, here's what that sentence would be. God comes to us in disguise. He usually doesn't bang us over the head, does he? Now, there are a few pretty dramatic encounters between humans and God in Scripture, right? Like Saul on the Damascus Road. But for the most part, God doesn't call out our names with a voice of thunder from the sky. He comes to us in a whisper. 
like a lover, wooing his beloved. God woos us gently. Solomon writes in the book of Proverbs, he says this about God. It is the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the honor of kings is to search out a matter. It's the glory of God to conceal a thing. It's our job to seek and to find. Isn't this what God does in the Christmas story? God conceals himself. He conceals himself as a baby. He conceals himself in a set of circumstances no person would ever think of as God's design, and yet we see God's signature on it, don't we? Instead of coming in power, he comes in weakness. Instead of coming as a conqueror, he comes as a refugee. So God comes concealed. But isn't it also true that God comes in plain sight? Like he's not, he's not, it's not like we can't see him. So I would say he comes hidden in plain sight. He comes hidden in plain sight. The gospel writer John says this, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He's talking about Jesus. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. Well, so the world saw him, apparently. It's just that they didn't recognize him. How can we be a people who recognize God well? There's no silver bullet answer to that question. Um, but uh, I do want to give us three ideas, three practical kind of steps that we can take toward being a people who notice God and who don't miss him when he shows up. So if God comes to us in obscurity, if he comes to us not with a fire, earthquake, thunder, but in a whisper, what if we practice being quiet? What if we practice being still? What if we learn to hold our rush, our noise? I know it's going to be really hard to do this week. <laughs> but hold those things just long enough to maybe hear that still small voice, that holy whisper. What if not missing God is as easy as that? It could be. Secondly, what if we let God open our eyes to see that he's with us in the places where we live. We, we don't have to go find him far away, right? He's here. He's with you where you are, in your actual physical geographic location, right? In your, in your place of, of living and working and being. What if he's as much in the church bathroom as he is in his church sanctuary? My friends, is it possible that you and I walk on holy ground? By the way, I think the first of those steps is sometimes the key to the second one. The being quiet is when I realize, oh, he's actually here already, even before I noticed him. Thirdly, and lastly, what if we made more room in our lives for vulnerable people? I believe that vulnerable people around us can help us to learn to recognize God, because God is vulnerable. God has made himself vulnerable. So who's a vulnerable person in your life? Maybe it's a child of a single parent, or a teenager grappling with their identity, an immigrant, a refugee, a widow, someone with a, a chronic illness. Maybe it's just someone who's lonely. Like Adam said when he was sharing about the cards, just somebody who might otherwise be forgotten. When we spend time with vulnerable people, guess what happens? We get to see how God provides for them. 
We get to see how God meets with them, how he helps them. And I think we need that. I know I need that. Because it's really hard for me to notice God showing up in my own life. I think that's true for most of us, right? It's, it's hard to notice those little ways in which he's very consistently, but often very much under the radar, showing up in our lives. But we can see it in other people's lives. And when we get good at seeing it in other people's lives, that can really help us to notice when he's showing up in our life too. God comes to us in disguise, hidden in plain sight. May we learn to hear his still small voice in the quiet. May we discover him waiting for us in the ordinary places of our lives. And may we encounter his presence in the vulnerable people we walk alongside. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that no one could have written this story but you. And forgive us, O oh Lord, when we have looked for you to... Um, we've looked for you in ways that we just assumed you would come instead of paying attention to the ways in which you actually come. We want to be good students of who you are and what you're like. We want to get to know you. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us to do that in humility and in faith. And we thank you that you meet us, Lord, as we come to you. You meet us more than halfway. Lord, you don't ask uh, so much of us, Lord, that we would have to pilgrim to far lands to find you. We thank you that you're waiting to meet with us in our messy lives, in our broken circumstances, in the places, Lord, that we were thinking about earlier that are hard places to be. Thank you that you have the power to redeem those places. You have the power to redeem our circumstances. You have the power, Lord, to be a light in our lives, Lord, that we so desperately need. And so I just pray for us, Lord, as we, as we walk this week toward Christmas. You would help um, our Christmas to be aligned more with your Christmas, Lord our story to be more aligned with your story, our um, image of you to be more aligned with who you actually are. Open our eyes. Show us, O oh Lord. We're hungry to see you and to know you. And we thank you, Lord, that all of this, we're reminded that you are the one who came. And so, Lord, help us to receive. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You're listening to the official podcast of Church at the Well in Burlington, Vermont. For more information about Church at the Well, including gathering time and location, events, and how you can financially support the podcast, please visit us online at www.wellchurchvt.com.